seated, please. We're back to Romans after Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and uh, we'll be picking up uh, again with uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so we'll go to Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 4. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Kind of a general review of where we've been uh, as we started this uh, actually back at the end of September going over what it is in the sense of the body of Christ. Uh, Roman, well, actually even going back here, uh, you know, uh, looking for verse 4, for as one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, uh, also deal with the same idea. In fact, Paul makes this really clear that a body functions as, as it works together. And, you, and, of course, what better picture, really, if you think about it, as a metaphor? A physical body being a description of how the church works. You know, we all can't be, at one point he says, we all can't be an ear, we all can't be a a mouth or, uh, uh, you know, we all can't be the hand, we can't all be the foot, you know, it's, it's different aspects of what we're doing, and, and yet together we function. And I thought about that again uh, as I was going over these notes and putting some things together, and I thought, how many times do I do things with, with absolutely, physically, as a body, do things with absolutely no actual upfront memory or, or intent? In other words, uh, you know, I, I, actually, what drew it to my attention was was uh, uh, a, a wisp of air. I thought it was a fly, and I went, <laughs> did it again, uh, and 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 just you know, and I and I did it without even thinking, and I and I, I realized how many things do you do just automatically as a reflex, and that's the body working in it in perfect harmony the way it's supposed to, and then I remembered uh, reading about a a uh, young boy who who was having problems breathing, and he actually had to think about every breath. They had to put a, a machine and, and everything uh, to him so that it would cause him to breathe because if he would, like it, when he goes to sleep at night, he could stop breathing. And I, and I thought, you know, here's something we do automatically. I mean, how many of us have thought about it since I started talking about the breath you were taking? Okay, so that's the body working the way it should be, in harmony. And I think it's a wonderful illustration. If we're all doing our part uh, in, in the sense of what God has given us in the way of gifts, 
and, and talents and uh, skills and abilities and training that, that the body will flourish and be healthy. So we have a, one body but many parts acting in harmony, in unity together. And it's very clear, Paul makes it very clear, that Christ is the head of the body. No man, no person is the head. Christ is the head of the body. No board, no denomination, no group is the head. Christ is the head. And the body, again, if you read through uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14, uh, you realize that the Holy Spirit is what empowers the body. And the Word of God is what nourishes and strengthens the body. And again, all of this working in harmony to bring about a healthy church. Now with that, we, we went over this, was also the reality that each member Everybody that comes to a saving knowledge of Christ, everybody that comes into a relationship with the Lord, everybody who comes into the church, according to 1 Peter chapter 4, is given a gift. At least one spiritual gift. And I recall sharing this a couple of times uh, last year, but, but again, noting that a spiritual gift is not your actual talents or natural abilities. Uh, th those things that can be brought about by environment, education, training. Uh, there's Christians and non-Christians that have great talents with music and great talents with speaking and, and different aspects of, of what are just uh, God-given, but the spiritual gift is a unique thing, and we'll look at it again in, in just a moment. Spiritual gift's not the fruit of the Spirit. I've had people say, oh, my gift isn't patience, or my gift isn't you know, this or that, and in reference to the things that are the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, is for all Christians. It's foundational to the church. Every member is to be growing in those areas. And as Paul pointed out, as we shared uh, just before Thanksgiving, all of this is focused with the beginning idea that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. We are to be seeking him. And again, with that promise and, and a sense of claiming it, you know, lots of people say, you know, you know, they claim things that I don't see in the scripture, but man, this promise is there for us to take. And that is, if you will seek him, you will find him, period. And so, seeking him, to grow in him. It says, ask, and, and it will be uh, opened and you know, revealed to you. Knock, and the door will be opened. Uh, and, and then I saw, thought of that picture of, of Jesus in the reverse of that, standing in Revelation, saying, I knock at the door, you know, waiting for you to, for us to open it. And that's written to Christians, not non-believers. That's written to believers. Jesus wants to have access to every part of our, of, of our being. I, I look at it in the sense of a home in my head, you know, a house. And, and, and I've invited him as a believer into the, the living room. And off the living room is the kitchen and, and the, the bedrooms and, and 
the, the den and the TV room or whatever, all these other places. And it's kind of like when I first invited him in, all those other doors were closed. I, I, in my living room, he's there. But the light starts to shine in underneath the door into all those other rooms. He wants access to every part of that. And so this idea of, of uh, seeking him with all our heart and soul and mind is to open our lives to him, even those areas, uh, as, as uh, Brad pointed out this morning, that, we, that, that are not of God, that are, uh, that are sin, and we might even think as secret sin, meaning nobody else knows, but God doesn't miss anything. He has access to it all. And so he wants to have a, a relationship with every facet of who we are. Now, spiritual gifts, uh, you know, I, we've got talents and, 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 and uh, uh, areas of, of training and education that we give to God that he's you know, given us the ability to do. But spiritual gifts, this is an area where it's Christians only. A person who's not a Christian is not going to have spiritual gifts. Ray Pritchard, uh, who's the head of Keep Believing Ministries, uh, put it this way, a spiritual gift is a God-given ability which enables a believer to effectively serve the body of Christ, bringing glory to God. And the emphasis is a God-given ability. Now, it may or may not be working in harmony with a talent or, or, or a training of some kind, but this is something that God instills in you that God puts into you. And Paul uses the word charismata to describe this idea of spiritual gifts as coming from and through God's grace. And this word, charismata, applies to all of the gifts, not just one, two, or three, or a few, or a particular you know, group. Uh, so the seven gifts that, that are listed here in the book of Romans, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, mercy, are all spiritual gifts, charismata of grace, of the grace of God, and, and all of the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, and, and uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 as well are all gifts of God. They're all part of this charismata, gifts of God that, that Paul's speaking of. And so I put here, for my own use here, making the user of any one of these gifts charismatic. And the reason why I do that is I, I, I'm so tired of hearing this distinction of here's the charismatics and this is the non-charismatics. The gifts of God are, are the, 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 the charisma, charismata. Uh, they, they all stem from the Holy Spirit. And if we're using them, we're using them by the power and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit and therefore they all fall into that category. And without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be able to do it. The number of gifts, you now if you, you look at Romans, we've got seven that we've listed here. 1 Corinthians uh, 13 is, is, it appears to be about that many. In Ephesians 4, uh, there's, uh, there's five listed. Some of them overlap or some of them are the repeats. So if you look at it, you can see that there's at least 20 spiritual gifts. And somebody says, is, that, is, the, is the list, that list definitive, meaning that's it? And I don't, I don't know that I could say that. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But he points out those specific ones. Much discussion 
around spiritual gifts as well. Especially over their use in the church today. Are any of the gifts just for the foundation in the first century no longer with us today? And, and the answer is that this is where the debate kind of goes. And the gifts of tongues, the gift of prophecies, the word of knowledge, apostles, these gifts are, are frequently in debate. I, would, I hate to say it, but sometimes in contention. Uh, strong arguments <laughs> Uh, to the point where some people will, will disregard the faith of others because uh, they believe one way or the other about these particular gifts as to whether we're using them today or not today. And it's really a, a sad commentary in the sense that those things don't surround the, the hardcore, the, 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 the birth, the life, the burial, the death, the resurrection, well, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, those are the core things that unite us. And the fact that we may have a difference of opinion about how certain gifts are used shouldn't be so divisive. It may have a, a, a turn as to whether, where you decide to worship, but it shouldn't cause us to look at, at brothers and sisters at another church and say, oh, anathema, you know, that, you, know you, you can't possibly be saved. And so... There are some issues with these. It's why it's difficult sometimes to come to the pulpit even and discuss them. And we're not going to resolve all the issues. If we could, this place would, you know, overnight would be full because people would be wanting to know how you figured it out. Um, these con the, the, there's controversies, but we should not be afraid to discuss the things of Scripture. And in those areas where it has nothing to do with the, the core values of our faith, we should be able to agree to disagree and love each other in Christ. And so as we go into this, uh, you know, I, I, I realize, I, I think I mentioned this uh, last year at one point, as we went through the Grief Share program, one of the things that I really became I don't know how to put it, almost overwhelmed with, was the reality that in my grief and the way I perceive it, even that is tainted because I, of the flesh, is tainted by sinful ways of looking at things. And so I don't even get my grief right. And, he, and, and this one person put it, I, I trouble my troubles. And I realized that as we come to this, all of us are going to come to the, the, the things as we look at Scripture, as we look at these things, especially those that are in controversy. We all come with things on our belief window uh, that uh, kind of, if you will, skew the way we look at things. And I just want to suggest to you that, you know, be open to the, to the point of saying, I can agree to disagree in love. And, and uh, to, to think through sometimes what will be the opposite of the way you feel about something and look at it and try to see it from somebody else's point of view and say, well, I can see how they get there, but I don't agree with this or this. That's okay. I was uh, reviewing something that, uh, that Stuart Briscoe uh, wrote uh, a number of years ago, and he said that the misuse and abuse 
of spiritual gifts leads to, and, and I didn't know that, that, I'm not even sure it is a word, but it's his word, disuse. Meaning people will turn around and just say, well, it's better just to leave this alone and not, and not do any of those things, and then we won't be worried about it. We won't be setting up a, a sense of controversy or debate or, or argument, and as a result, missing things that God would have for us. So uh, the, the fact that the gifts can be there, that can, they actually can be abused, uh, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that something that comes from the Holy Spirit that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, but yet in, in my own will can choose to misuse. But I can. And the proof of that is the church in Corinth. Paul addresses in, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, 13, and 14 the misuse of at least specifically the speaking of tongues, speaking in tongues, and the idea of, 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 of prophecy as well. And he spends most of his time in those three chapters addressing those two issues and some of the other issues in a broader sense. So the reality is, is that prophecy for instance, can be misused. Someone can say, thus saith the Lord, and either be dishonest and deceiving or really think that he is coming from the Lord and, 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 and it not be anything to do with truth. It's a possibility. Does that mean that we should you know, run and hide? I think we need to at least discuss it and look at it. And since prophecy is the first gift in the list of Romans, and it's Romans we're going through, uh, then uh, that's where we started in taking a look at the spiritual gifts. There's a few other references that I, I've been in Scripture that I'm using uh, that help with this, uh, looking at prophecy specifically. One is found in 2 Peter chapter 1. We went over this scripture uh, briefly uh, a while back, and I'd like to you know, look at it again this morning, uh, starting with the 16th verse, Roman, 2, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Paul, or Peter writes, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have something more sure. Now catch this. We have something more sure the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Preface that with the idea of what we just said, the idea of, of that this is something that God is doing. And what Paul or Peter is, is actually driving for here, I believe, 
is the content of the scriptures. Paul tells us very clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the scriptures are God-breathed. They are not of man. They're not of his, his ideas. It's not something that he originates. That's what Peter says here. It's not some myth that we're building on here. I do like the picture here of him using this, the, 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 the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was ministered to by Moses and Elijah. Uh, Peter, James, and John were all allowed to go with him up there, and they saw what was going on. And, and so uh, they saw Elijah, they saw Moses, they saw uh, Christ, all of them in glory, and uh, they heard the voice of God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And yet they say there's something even more sure than our eyewitness account. And that's the prophetic word of God that is, I believe, speaking specifically in the sense of Scripture. Something more sure. Why? Because it is, is, is the revelation of God about himself and given to us to know him. And again, with confidence, no prophecy comes from one man's interpretation or will, but it comes as uh, spoken from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I believe this applies to the Old Testament and the New Testament. According to Paul, these words again that men spoke, foundational for the church. Look at Ephesians chapter uh, 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting with the 19th verse, uh, says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Referring here to once, uh, once we're in Christ, we're no longer aliens to God. However, it's an interesting thing that other scripture points out. We are now aliens to the earth <laughs> and pilgrims here. Uh, but we're no longer alienated from God, uh, but we are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're all citizens members of the household of God. The household of God is, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Some people try to point out this is the Old Testament prophets and, and not having to do with anything of the New Testament spiritual gift. Others point out that, well, it's, it's the New Testament prophets because of the way it's ordered here. I really believe as a foundation it's both. It's the whole counsel of the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, as our foundation with Christ as the cornerstone. Jesus is the one that brought these things together when he said, look at all of these things, how they reflect on me, point to me, and now I have fulfilled them. And all of the scriptures in the New Testament pointing to that reality. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He's the son of God. And this is how we should respond to it. And so that is the foundation that we work from, the word of God, Old and New Testament. And it's, it's built, you know, the church is built on this with Christ as the cornerstone. And I love this picture because it's the structure is a growing structure, a holy temple in the, in the Lord that's being built. 
uh, and it's being built together into a dwelling place by the Holy Spirit for God. So this picture, again, of, of prophet, the, the idea of prophecy being a foundational thing that we can rest on with absolute certainty. From my understanding of prophecy, I really believe, from the way I see it and the way I've been taught and the way I've been reading, I've been, I've been looking at so many different sides of this, I must look at the Old Testament and the New Testament to fully understand. For instance, some of the, how would you put it, some of the ground rules for prophecy in the Old Testament are quite specific. And in some cases, the consequences uh, are, are pretty harsh for false prophecy. And so, in order to be able to discern a true prophecy from a, a false prophecy, there was a number of things laid out in the Old Testament. The Old Testament principles need to be coupled with what we find in the New Testament to get the full picture of the gift of prophecy. I think I'll stop there. <laughs> because the, the next part of it I want to keep in context with, with where I'm going. But I want you to, to understand more than anything else the idea that the, the prophetic word, the scripture... It's God-breathed. It's what we build our whole life as a Christian on. It's a sure foundation. It's a firm foundation. And it's, it, you, can, you, can, you, you can bank on it 100% surety. There's no other better guarantee than that. You know, 100% surety that what God has said is true and that we, can, that we can absolutely, unequivocally rest on it. We can say with, with honesty, even if we're struggling with the details, that I know, that I know, that I know that God is my Savior, that he is the creator, and I know with confidence that there is a, a, a new heaven and a new earth and that all who are the children of God and the kingdom of God are going to share in that with Christ Jesus eternally. A place of no darkness, no sin to hamper our pursuit of seeking God. We can rest with confidence in those things. That's what, what I believe Paul and Peter are trying to establish when they talk about this, this foundation and the strength of this. As we, as we go to communion, let's, let's take a step back and go back to Matthew chapter 17 where Moses and Elijah uh, are on the mount with Jesus. Peter, James, and John are there. Um, again, Moses represents the law. Elijah is the first noted prophet of the Old Testament, therefore represents the prophecies, the prophets. There they, they are together. Moses, the law, the prophets, and the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the sacrifice that makes all of this possible. 
I believe that, that part of the moment, of uh, uh, the timing of being there was to strengthen Christ for what was, was ahead. And so Moses and Elijah coming alongside Jesus, the sacrifice, the cornerstone of God's plan to save man and, and, and men and women, the cornerstone of the foundation that holds it all together, that measures it off perfectly. And so we rest in a Savior who has absolutely completed the work that needs to be done in order for us to be saved. We bring nothing to the table in the sense of works. Christ has finished it. He's done it all. And so as we go into communion this morning, rest with that confidence. That foundation is laid and absolutely established, and we rest on it. I'd ask the ushers to come forward and uh, uh, pass the communion out. Uh, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share it together. Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign, my gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee in life, I will love thee in death, and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath, and say when the dead do, let's hold on my brow. If ever I love 
and endless delight. I'll ever adore Thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus, tis now. reflects on what we traditionally call the Last Supper uh, in this way in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke, <coughs> excuse me, he broke the bread and, and said, uh, this is my body which is broken uh, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Father, we continue this morning to praise you, to thank you, to acknowledge that you alone have saved us. There is no under name under heaven by which we might be saved than that of Jesus Christ. And with confidence we come to you, knowing, Lord, that as we've entered into that relationship, we have eternal life. But we also recognize, Lord, that day to day as we struggle in this still fallen flesh, that we have those things that stand against you, sin that is in our lives. And Lord, we come to you and ask that you would examine us, cause us to see the things that fall short, and then, Lord, give us the ability through your Holy Spirit to have victory over them and the confidence that as we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us. Thank you. We also come at this time with that confidence again that we're to do this until you return. We look forward to that day. As much as we enjoy getting together, and I think of our greeting times and, and, and times of, of talking with one another in the, before the, the service and how enthusiastically everybody is, is talking and and. and and ministering at times to each other and, and encouraging each other and just simply sharing the day with each other. And, and I look to what it will be when we share eternity together, face to face with you. I think of that one song, the, the phrase, oh, what a day that will be. We worship you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.